You better hold on tight, spider monkey. I hate it. It's Very so nice. stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> Who wrote that? It's not in the book. It's like a lot of the bad lines in this movie, you can be like, okay, that came from the book, whatever. Yeah. That is not from the book. Someone was just like, hey, let's have someone say that. <laughs> Why? Anyway, all right. I also love how later on um, there's that scene, moment where during the basketball scene where Emmett climbs up a tree to, to get the ball and Rosalie's like, my monkey man. My monkey it's man. Like, what is it with the freaking What is monkeys? it with the monkey references in this movie? It's so weird. <laughs> None of these are common phrases. This is not no romantic. One says like, this in real life. I've never heard anyone say monkey man or spider monkey. This is not monkey. something you affectionately say about your partner. Nope. Or just ever. Period. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So, we are back again for another week, and yeah, woohoo, it's going to be, I'm very excited for this episode. Um, but before we jump into the movie, uh, Geneva, do you want to tell us a little bit about anything you've been watching this week? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, as I have already told you off, off mic, I recently got into Friday Night Lights, the football, Texas football teen show from the early 2000s or <clears throat> late 2000s, early 2010s, have been absolutely maining, mainlining it over the last week and a half. Um, I'm about halfway through season two, which is, from what I've been told, the bad season, so I'm trying to get through that as quickly as possible. But season one was incredible. I'm very much looking forward to the rest of the show. So I might talk about more, more about that at a later date. But there is one movie that I wanted to talk about, because I don't think I've... Um, brought it up since the last time we recorded. Um, so I watched the Billy Wilder film, Ace in the Hole, which is from, I believe, 1950, um, somewhere in the early 1950s. Tatum, have you seen it or heard, heard of this movie? I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Okay. <clears throat> highly, highly recommend. Okay. So Billy Wilder, um, as you as you know, Tatum, <laughs> one of my favorite writer-directors, and this movie is about, um, it stars Kirk Douglas, and it's about a very cynical uh, newspaper reporter in the 1950s, who is, uh, he's been disgraced, he's working at this really small town paper out in the, um, I think the Arizona desert somewhere, somewhere in the southeast, and he stumbles across this breaking news story of a man who's been trapped by a cave-in. He's trapped in a cave. And he realizes that if he spins it right, he can use this story and create a whole national sensation and potentially leverage that to get himself back into working in New York, you know, working in the big times, that sort of thing. And so he manages to do it. He creates this whole national sensation, everyone breathlessly following the story. You know, is the man going to get out of the cave? Is he is he going to die in there? What's going to happen? Um, and the newspaper reporter, the Kirk Douglas character, he's um, he's manipulating the situation. He's working with the crooked sheriff. Um, you know, he's uh, doing all of these things to 
basically just drum up as much uh, as much of a frenzy around this story as possible. And when I tell you this movie is relevant to our current situation, <laughs> <laughs> this movie, I mean, it basically just foreshadows the 24-hour news cycle. And um, I mean, it's the, it's loosely based on true events that had happened in the past. So it's not like this movie completely um, dreamed of the, this idea out of nowhere. But it is so well observed, well directed. Kirk Douglas is astounding in this role as this really charismatic but extremely cynical and dark character who you just you can't stop following even though he's doing these horrible things um yeah this movie is so good (laughs) it's one of those movies where it finishes and it's you know it's very it's fast-paced you're you have no idea what's going to happen there are all these twists and turns that it takes and then it finishes and you just feel like you're out of breath you know you feel like you really need to sit with it for a couple of hours um so yeah ace in the hole highly highly recommend really good movie i'm surprised you hadn't seen it before but i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah it's kind of the the last of the i think billy wilder's major movies that i hadn't seen i would say i think i would say that i've seen all of his other major works i mean there's plenty of others of his that i haven't seen but that was a real blind spot for me so i'm really glad that i finally got around to seeing it that's great. I'm happy for you. I should watch yeah. it. I, there's quite a few Billy Wilder films on my watch list that I need to get to at some point. Mm-hmm. It's like I've seen a fair amount of them, but there's still there's still more. Yeah, still <laughs> always more. Yeah, and it's you, a deep you like well. you like Kirk Douglas, right? Because I know you've you've seen like Spartacus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I my favorite role of his is uh, Paths of Glory, which oh, is a film we will talk about on this podcast that I know you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really want to see. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Kubrick films. Excellent, excellent, excellent movie that I feel like a lot of people haven't seen. I feel like it's kind of been forgotten. Um, yeah, it's yeah. kind of the um, the set the not I shouldn't say set the template for, but you know, one of the major um, war movies and specifically World War One movies out there. Um, you'll see it referenced a lot when a new World War One movie is released. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see that one. Other than the forgotten 1930, All Quiet on the Western mm, Front, which beloved. has since been overshadowed <laughs> by, the, by the recent Netflix film. Um, well, think of it as the recent Netflix film has told so many more people about this story and the fact that there's an earlier 1930s one that's I superior. hope so. I genuinely hope that people will go back and watch it. Um, but yeah. yeah. What have you been watching? Yeah, so I, um, this week at work was actually a super rough week. Um, I ended up reactivating a knee injury because one of the locations where we were filming uh we were filming on like the third floor of an apartment building that had no elevator so I was running up and down all day and reactivated a knee injury so that's unfortunate but it also meant that yesterday I spent the entire day lying on my couch so (laughs) so I was able to watch some stuff for the first time in a while um I really wanted to get to the theater to see the Korean film Return to Seoul but because of my knee injury, I couldn't make it. So um, I instead watched an Amazon Prime show, which I found through some research online. I believe it first aired in 2020. It's called The Wilds. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, Geneva. But no, I haven't. I I first read the plot description and I was like, this sounds like a knockoff of Lost. <laughs> because the description, um, the description is literally... 
a group of people, the plane crashes, and then all of a sudden they're stuck on an island and they're, you know, and I was like, is this really just a teenage version of Lost? Because I'm not here for it, if that's what it is. But I was willing to give the show a shot because I saw that it had relatively positive reviews. And I was like, eh, I'll just watch something. And surprisingly, it turned out to be pretty good. Um, Oh, interesting. I did not finish it uh, because it's, you know, the episodes are almost like literally an hour long, like 58 minutes. And I think the first season has 10 or 11 episodes. So I watched about half of it. Um, I really enjoyed it. So the basic premise of the show is it's all of these teenage girls. I don't remember exactly how many of them, maybe eight, seven or eight of them. And all of their parents send them on this plane that takes them to this like all high school girls retreat to help them recover from whatever their teenage angst is dependent on their own circumstance. And so in the first episode, their plane actually crashes and they all end up on an island with no resources. And so it's kind of like, okay, how are all of these teenage angsty girls who are you know, dealing with their own issues in very unique, different ways. How are they all going to survive together on this island? And how are they going to grow from that? Um, So kind of Lord of the Flies, but with teenage girls? Kind of. And then it introduces a sci-fi aspect, too, that I won't go into because it's kind of a... I mean, it comes up in, like, episode two, but it's kind of a spoiler, so I won't say it. But um, it turned out to be... uh, kind of a combination of lost kind of lord of the flies kind of hunger games mm-hmm. kind of there's also that show yellow jackets that i've heard really good things about uh that i've yeah. not seen but i know also involves uh teenage girls stranded in the wilderness um trying yeah. to survive i would say that this is not the same vibe as yellow jackets at all okay. yellow jackets has like cannibalism and it's very dark oh. <laughs> and like okay. that show is freaking dark it's very good but dark this one is more just teenagers figuring out their lives and how to deal with their own issues and grow from it and it's kind of fit within this plot device of there's flash forwards and flashbacks to their lives before the island and then their lives after the island when they're being interviewed by these officers about their experience and so it's like okay we know they get off the island but who's interviewing them and why and blah blah so it's actually quite good um some episodes are slower than others because they each episode tends to focus on one of the particular girls on the island, and some stories are a little bit more intriguing than others. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. I look forward to finishing it. Um, I feel like it's kind of a show that people haven't heard of and haven't talked about because I hadn't heard of it till I did research yesterday. Um, but it's pretty good, at least season one. Apparently, there's a season two. I don't know how that is but yeah i'm enjoying season one okay interesting is it a um just curious is it an american show or is it a foreign show it's an american show yeah um and i really like that it has a lot of diversity there's mixed mixed people in it um there's there's asian there's white there i mean there's so much representation which i'm a huge fan Mm -hmm. of um so i love that as well um but yeah, so that's that's awesome. the wilds. I would recommend it. Um, believe it or not, it's not your typical cliche high school type of show. It's actually, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's actually intriguing awesome. to adults as well as young adults. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, speaking about things that appeal to young adults as well as adults, <laughs> let's uh, let's transition into speaking our... of a lack of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally the fact that the the defining thing of a vampire is a pale face and they're the most beautiful people on earth and they're pale. Mm. Like, Hmm. 
problematic? I yeah. think yes. <laughs> not, not loving that. Not loving not it. Not loving it. They try in the movie because they bring in certain vampires that are people of color. But in the books, mm-hmm. you know, they're all white. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's let's jump into our discussion of today's uh, today's film. So today on the show, we will be discussing the 2008 now cult classic Twilight based on the first installment of the young adult Twilight book series written by Stephanie Meyer. This movie grossed 407 million US dollars and the entire film franchise would eventually gross 3.4 billion US dollars. The film along with the book series was a global phenomenon for years and subsequently it catapulted its two protagonists Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart to stardom. So the first book of this series came out in 2005 but the entire book series with the addition of uh with the inclusion of two other like additional books to the series, it has sold over 160 million copies worldwide. So very, very popular book. Mm -hmm. Um, This book was everywhere in the late 2000s. Yes. And the first Twilight book spent 235 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. I actually have no idea how many years that is. That's more than one year, I think, 235 weeks. Well, there's 52 weeks in a year, so that's like four and a quarter years, like almost four and a half years. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a big deal. And then I also read online that the most recent release um, of this book series, which came out in, in 2020 called Midnight Sun. That movie sold, or movie, that book sold 1 million copies in the first week. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> you know, and that came out, you know, 15 years after mm-hmm. the first one came out. So still going strong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, interestingly, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more, but um, there was a real renaissance of interest in Twilight during the pandemic. And I think Midnight Sun came out, right? Either during the pandemic or maybe, yeah, like, kind of just as the pandemic was getting going. And I think it was kind of sort of a catalyst, but also sort of just um, meeting up with existing trends of people, you know, in the midst of a terrifying and uncertain (laughs) event, kind of returning to the thing that is nostalgic and that makes them happy and feel comforted. And, um, you know, the, the nostalgia cycle is usually what, like 15 years or so. And so we're kind of due for a, a bit of a twilight renaissance, um, so yeah, that's been kind of interesting to see. And I was one of those people. I got Midnight mm-hmm. Sun from the library because I was like, I'm doing nothing else because COVID. I'll check it out. And then I got like three chapters in. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Um, <clears throat> but I do know many people um, <clears throat> who did check out the book and read it and they enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, so getting back to the movie itself, uh, Twilight actually was not expected to be a huge box office success. So the first movie was made on a relatively small budget of only $37 million, but obviously it had a huge profit because it made $407 million. So, um, New Moon and Eclipse, uh, had their budget, their budgets raised by over $50 million after the success of the first film. And then by the time the last ones, Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, by the time those came out, their budgets were over $100 million. Wow. So as, you know, the success of this just completely, completely exponentially exploded. and um, insane. Yeah. And a lot of people have said that the success of this film probably was 
can also in part be attributed to the fact that these movies were actually released very quickly. So kind of before the hype could die out, they were releasing mm. these movies every year. So it wasn't mm. like one movie and then three years. And then it was like, no, every single yeah. year they Which released is a these. Very smart decision on their part. I mean, I think that's one of Absolutely. the things that the, the 50 shades franchise, um, one of the issues that that had is that they took too long in between each movie. I mean, those movies should never have been made, but they <laughs> took too long in between each movies and people were fully over Fifty Shades um, by the time that last movie came out. I mean, I uh, we will get into this. I will share my personal story with Twilight, but let me just say I was all in on the Twilight series and even me by the time Breaking Dawn Part 2 came out. I was kind of a little bit over it. So, um, yeah, yeah, they definitely made the right decision. So, um, (laughs) Geneva also kind of hinted at this, but we do have to mention that the Twilight series did spawn a lot of fan fiction and one of which led to the book and then film franchise known as 50 shades of gray. Uh, and honestly, upon rewatching this movie as an adult, I can see why I (laughs) totally get it. I see how this could lead to that type of story. Um, and I can see why people would kind of maybe be into that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so kind of just to summarize this movie real quick, and then we can move forward. Um, this film in particular, the first ep- first episode, <laughs> the first movie. <laughs> the first installment in the saga. Yeah, right. Planet. The first film, the first book, it uh, tells, this particular one tells the story of Bella, a young girl who, after moving to Forks, Washington, to be with her father, meets a mysterious young man who, spoiler alert, turns out to be a vampire. And also not a young man. (laughs) He is drawn to Bella due to her being the one exception to his mind reading abilities. And she is drawn to him because he's hot and wants to kill her. Yeah. Eventually they fall in love. And and looks like Robert Pattinson. Yes. Eventually they fall in love and they each become unable to live without the other codependent and unhealthy. Yes. Do people still go to the theater and buy the books off of the shelves? Also, yes. Me being (laughs) one of them. So, Yes, that is the the kind of vague plot summary of this movie. Um, so before we get into it, I wanted to kind of just share our own personal experiences just with the Twilight franchise in general before we even go into the specifics of the movie, because Geneva and I are both of the age demographic that this book was written for, and we mm-hmm. were growing up and the right age at the right time when these movies and mm-hmm. these books were exploding. So, um, but that being said, we had very different experiences <laughs> of Twilight, right. which is kind of yes. fascinating. Yeah. Um, so Geneva, I wanted you actually to share first, cause she knows a little bit or a lot of bit about my journey with this, but I don't really know much about yours. Yeah. I think you probably read the books, but I, I did. Remember. Yes. Yeah. So my journey with it was, um, I was in high school when the first movie came out and um, I didn't, I first interacted with it. You know, I heard people talked about it as this book series. Oh, you got to read it. You know, it's about a girl who falls in love with a vampire. I was like, "Uh, not my thing. Um, Thanks, but no thanks. Um, I did eventually read the first book. I, I, actually, my pastor's wife lent it to me for what? some reason. Yeah. Whoa. Um, so that's the context because, I read it in. Because of the abstinence themes. <laughs> probably, probably. Honestly, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read it. I was like, all right, it's fine. Not my thing. And kind of went about my life. But then (laughs) shortly afterward, the Twilight backlash set in and I got fully in on the backlash. So there was a um, 
there's a, a blog that I used to follow that would do recaps of each chapter of the Twilight series. It was a, a man who would read the each chapter and then recap it. He was a very funny writer. Um, he hated the series. <laughs> he just absolutely hated it. And so I had a lot of fun following those recaps. Uh, I ended up reading the rest of the books with the express intention of reading them so that I could poke holes in them and make fun of oh, them. Oh, interesting. Um, when they came up in conversation. And so, yeah, that's that's very much the mindset that I was in. I went to see, um, I think I saw the first movie not in theaters, maybe rented it on, you know, got the DVD from Netflix back when people still got DVDs from Netflix or something like that, um, you know, months after the fact. Skipped the second one. I went to see the third and four, fourth one in theaters with friends like weeks after they came out. You know, the theaters were almost empty. <laughs> We sat in the back. We poked fun of it the whole time. Um, the fourth one, I think I didn't see until DVD months after it came out. So, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I was very much in the, I don't really care about Twilight except to occasionally poke fun of it <laughs> sort of mindset. Um, and then, you know, during the pandemic, I did a rewatch with a, a mutual friend of mine and Tatum's, which was a lot of fun. And... Then I saw it this afternoon, and that was my third time ever seeing the movie. <laughs> and I got to say, uh, I don't know if we want to get too far into our thoughts about this movie at this point, but I've got to say, this third watch of this movie, this is a really well-directed movie. <laughs> I kind of really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's so and I, I'm not going to say I'm like a Twilight fan now, but I was like, all right, I, for the first time, feel like I can see what people saw in this. And also, I have a lot of respect for Catherine Hardwick. And what she did in that first movie to establish the the visual look of the franchise, it's I think it's a really surprisingly well shot, um, thoughtfully directed movie, considering what the source material is. Um, the acting is a little bit wild, but also kind of works for what it's doing. And yeah, I had a really great time with this movie, I've got to say. <laughs> It I, is ridiculous, but, you know, I, I can see why it's so popular, and I probably will rewatch this movie again at some point. Like, I really oh, wow. enjoyed it. This is going to be a really interesting conversation because, so I'm, I'll give you guys a summary of my relationship with it, but I will say, watching it this time around, I, 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 I agree with you on certain points, but on other points, I have the exact opposite feelings. Like, I think this movie is terribly directed, and I think it <laughs> looks awful. <laughs> like, I, wow. I, 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 it's just, it looks, I'll, I'll get into that later, but yeah. that, that's I think so I'm funny. also kind of comparing it to, because as I said, my friend and I did a, a rewatch of all the films, so I'm kind of comparing it to the last few films, which mm. I think, I think the quality of the direction and the quality of the look Ironically, as the balloons begin to the the budgets begin to balloon, the quality just goes mm -hmm. way down. So I think this movie is really it's idiosyncratic, but it's I don't know. I think it it looks really well. It it's also very like I'm just so tired of it, you know. If this movie came out today, it would be probably some sort of eight episode series released directly to Netflix. It would look like shit and. I'm just so tired of it, you know? <laughs> like, I'm so tired of all these, like, and I mean, I, I shouldn't be saying this so, so dramatically. Like, I'm not, I'm not the audience for, 
you know, a Netflix teen show <laughs> that's coming out um, that's intended to be binged in a week and then never spoken about again. Like, I'm, I'm not the audience for that. And that that's totally fine. I just, it drives me nuts how flat everything looks on Netflix. And so seeing a movie that has actual, like, depth of field and interesting lighting and shadow and things like that, um, you know, it was just kind of refreshing. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue. We, I really really want to get into that later I really do um but before we do that let me just go ahead and share my um personal evolution with the universe that is the Twilight universe so I say all of this with no shame uh I own this part of my life it's part of what made me who I am you know (laughs) I don't hide it from people it is what it is so I was I believe 14 when maybe I was 13. No, I think I was 14 when, when these movies were about to come out. And so the, the book came out in 2005. The first movie came out in 2008. So I didn't read the first book until probably around 2007, right before the movie came out because everyone was talking about it. And I was like, what is this? And so I read the book the summer before my freshman year of high school. Was it my freshman year? Was it my sophomore year? No, it was the summer before my I don't remember. Somewhere before some year in high school. So I read the book and then I proceeded to read the book nine times. I read (laughs) the first book of Twilight nine times. How did you keep track? I I don't know. It's probably (laughs) just because I told so many people because everyone was kind of like, oh, I've read it twice. I've read, I'm like, I've read it nine times. So I read it nine times in one year. And then I also proceeded and this is, this is all within the same year. I read Twilight nine times. In one year? Yes. Oh I gosh. read I read New Moon twice. I read Eclipse. I read Eclipse either three times or five times. I don't remember. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then and then Breaking Dawn came out later. And then when Breaking Dawn came out, I read Breaking Dawn, I think, three times. So over the course of like a three year period. Let me just say that I was living and breathing Twilight. And that's just the books. So if we get into the movies, let me just say that I was... This was when YouTube was kind of just really becoming a thing. And and we were kind of figuring out what YouTube was. And I was watching the comic cons. I was watching... I was waiting for the countdowns of the teasers to come out. I was staying up till midnight for the teasers to come out. I was watching the teasers every day when I came home from school. I was reading the fan fiction online. Stephanie Meyer had a blog. I was reading her blog every day, waiting for her to release <laughs> new information and behind-the-scenes info about when the movies were coming out and blah, 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 blah. It, it, was, it was insane. It was insane. And it was so, intense. I mean, we've all been there. You know, I'm, I have been there many times with other properties. (laughs) Like we've all been there. Yeah. And so it it was, it was crazy. And then by the time the movies came out, I was all into these actors. I was looking up, you know, what has Robert Pattinson done? Because obviously I'd only known him from Harry Potter. What has Kristen Stewart done? Who are, who is all of the supporting cast? What have they done? What do they do? Oh, this person's a musician. Let me go listen to their music. This person, a lot of these people are actually musicians. So I Mm. looked up like all of their albums, listened to all of their music, you know, was, had their songs on my playlist, was listening to them 
them on repeat all the time, like was buying the soundtracks. I had posters on my wall. I was buying t-shirts. Like I, I don't even want to know how much money I contributed (laughs) to this franchise. God bless my parents for like buying me all of these things. Good heavens. Mm. And so then as time went on, I did go to the midnight premiere of Twilight, New Moon and Eclipse Uh, and as I mentioned before, by the time Breaking Dawn was starting to come out, I was aging out of it a little bit. I think I was like, I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college by the time the part two of Breaking Dawn came out. So part one and part two, I did not see in theaters. I think I, you know, watched them somehow some other way. Um, so yeah, it definitely was like an exponential growth and then, not even a plateau, but just like a, okay, I'm over this type of thing. <laughs> but I mean, how can you not be over something when you've been mm-hmm. like, I-, I knew everything about it. There was nothing else to know. So no more like, summits to climb. Yeah. I was like, well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, what, what kind of what age would you say or what era in the the franchise would you say that you started to make that transition from? fully in to fully out it it was by the time breaking dawn part one came out because by that point i'd read all of the books a million times were you still in high school at that point were you no i was in college i was in college yeah and so yeah that's kind of like the early stage of my journey with that um which was i guess a four-year period um and then after that i did not I, i did not read the books i did not watch the movies for a very long time Um, and I kind of got to a point where I was like, this story and this messaging is incredibly toxic for teenage girls. This should not be encouraged. This is really, you know, teaching codependency and unhealthy, like just so many things. And so I was very anti-Twilight for a while. I mean, in a funny way of kind of like, haha, Mm -hmm. this is hilarious that like, this is a thing that people cared about, but also recognizing this messaging is super harmful and teenage girls should not be reading this. Um, and then from there, it kind of just became a joke. Like it was just hilarious. And I watched these YouTube compilations all the time of how much Robert Pattinson hated being, (laughs) being a part of this movie. There's so many YouTube compilations of him just being like, yeah, this is fucked up. (laughs) And, um, and him just criticizing Stephanie Meyer and how she's crazy and blah, blah, blah. So, um, So, yeah. And then I will say, so it was a few weeks ago, actually, it was probably about two months ago, me and two of my cousins, we got together and we were like, hey, let's get together, have some drinks, you know, and watch Twilight. And this was my first time watching Twilight in legitimately like 10 years. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And so I watched it with my cousins and I was like, hmm. I kind of understand how Fifty Shades of Grey came from this because (laughs) now that I'm old enough to recognize this is toxic behavior and like blah, 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 blah. I'm like, now I'm just looking at this as like a fantasy of like, ooh, Mm -hmm. there's this like hot guy that takes interest in me for no reason whatsoever. But now he wants to like die for me and like, whoa, hmm, I could get into this. (laughs) And so that was me a few months ago. And then watching it this time around, I, I definitely am still on that train of like, I can see how this led to the Fifty Shades of Grey thing. Um, Robert Pattinson is incredibly hot in this movie. I uh, did not, I, I, I think he is, I did not think that he was 
attractive the first time I watched it when I was younger because I think I had my own image in my head of what Edward was supposed mm. to look like after reading the books. And then yeah. I was like, ugh, doesn't yeah. work. Now I'm like, dang, son. <laughs> All right. I'm here for it. Um, yeah. So- full disclosure, I find Robert Pattinson incredibly attractive in other contexts. I don't find him attractive in this franchise for whatever for whatever reason probably because he looks ill because he <laughs> could have something to do with it. um all the pan like white pancake makeup that's all over his yes face. uh yeah. just like jimmy stewart in the man of shop liberty <laughs> in the beginning um but yeah and i will say like also watching this now being someone who has worked in the film industry for years and has been a set dresser and a prop buyer and has studied filmmaking and wants to make I'm like this movie looks terrible the props are fake like 90% of the props are fake and don't work and the way that the actors interact with them is absolutely ridiculous the (laughs) set dressing is nonsensical and very poorly put together the camera is so wildly all over the place why are there so many crooked angled shots that make no sense why is it moving and the why is the edit like why there's the blocking is weird why are we directing two middle-aged men to have a weird boxing match in the back of the shot like it's <laughs> oh, i just, love that shot <laughs> the, the in my opinion this movie is horribly made <laughs> it's really badly made um and wow. that's we kind can, of what talk it, about it that's mm-hmm. kind of what it becomes to me now of it, it's almost it's almost like a room to me like the room of just like this is ridiculous. <laughs> and- See, for me, it's camp. Mm. That's what I, the thought that I had, um, specifically during, while well, I was watching it during the baseball scene when um, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence and James and Victoria come out of uh, the Geneva, Geneva, the it's fog. Geneva, Lawrence. it's Laurent. It's Laurent. Laurent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when they come out of the, the mist into the clearing and, you know, the music is playing all dramatic, I was like, oh, this is camp. That's what this is. And yeah, it's, it's, it works so well. I just, for me, especially right now, being a prop buyer on such a really, really um, artistically achieved mm-hmm. TV show that really inspires me, I look at the props and I'm like, who thought that was okay? <laughs> like, or who is letting the background actors like do these weird things with their food where they're not at like... As a prop buyer, I'm like, this is a disaster. Why is Bella... <laughs> When she arrives in Forks, why is she holding a cactus in her hands? Oh, is that that's really in the book, time? isn't it? I don't care. <laughs> no, it, it maybe it's not in the book, but I have a backstory in my head for why that is. Because that she bring, brings it from Arizona because it's her piece of Arizona. You know, oh, that yes. she wants to keep I, with her for as long as possible. I completely it understand. It makes sense from a character perspective. I completely understand the metaphor, but it's just weird how she interacts with it, and how, it's just it's just it's just weird. Um, salt shakers and ketchup thing. Like <laughs> the not, ketchup thing is so just, hilarious. There are so many gifs of it out I'm there. I'm pretty sure her salad is fake. I'm pretty like it's just <laughs> the apple that falls off the thing that Edward catches is a fake apple because it's shining. Like it's just <laughs> to um, form the cover of Twilight. Bella's always eating food. Like she's holding apples. She's holding Twizzlers. She. I'm just like this. Why? In her bedroom, there's this ridiculously poorly painted, 
portrait of a dog next to her bed. It's just like, <laughs> was there, that. was there no thought put it? It's <laughs> just, it's so bad. Um, but like, not, not bad in a, I'm insulting this movie sort of way, bad in like a, a, a funny, a, just a funny sort of way of like, this is shockingly just hilariously bad. Um, but because I don't think, and maybe you would disagree with this, but I don't think that this movie is trying to be really, really good. It's not trying to be like, oh, let's make this a super, it's just like, this is a teen story. Let's bring it to life whatever and so because of that well i i would i think i would disagree with that in the sense that i don't watch this movie and feel like anyone well no i shouldn't say anyone um because i i think possibly probably some of the actors are like whatever i don't watch this and think that the director sat down and said whatever i think the director sat down and said i'm going to make this movie as the fulfillment of teen fantasy which is what i think really works about it is this movie is so dedicated to creating the fantastical um, sort of emotional romantic ideas that are what caused that movie to the, the book series to become so popular. Like they're all put on screen to the nth degree. And that's what I really love about it is like, I think a lot of care was put into trying to make this movie as kind of swoopy and dreamy and, emotional and over the top as possible and it's ridiculous at times like there were there were so many moments during this movie that I just burst out laughing alone (laughs) in my room (laughs) um but you know I I feel like the care is there and that's what I really appreciate well I I agree with you I think I just think that the the movie was something where it's like let's make this the best teen movie that we can make when Mm -hmm. I say it wasn't trying I I don't think that it was something where it's like let's go for Oscars and oh yeah let's try and make this a real I don't think anyone had any illusions that this was some sort of like elevated movie I just think for what it is for the fact that it is a teen paranormal romance it's really like there was thought and care put into it and I I think it's well directed for what it is yeah I think I, I think that the fact that it is aiming to be a young adult film and not this, you know. Right. No one like, thought that they were making like, like that, I don't know, out of Africa or something. Yeah. Like, like that. that, that's the reason that I can tolerate it. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is what you're trying to, if it was trying to be something, then I would be like, this is a complete train yeah, wreck. Yeah. This sucks. Well, like when I but, say, when I say that it's camp, I'm thinking of kind of the original definition of, of camp. Um, I mean, Susan Sontag um, notes on camp. I mean, it's been a long time since I've read that essay, but this idea of camp that is something that is so sincerely performed. Um, you know, I think we we often think of camp as something that where there is all of this irony to it, and it's it's intentionally bad, that sort of thing. But the original definition of camp that is is something that is very very sincere, and that's what I see in this movie. Is like there's a lot of I think sincerity to it. Um, even through all the ridiculousness. I do think, I do think there's, I think, I think that there can be sincerity and also lack of, uh, lack Mm -hmm. of quality, quality or craft at the same time. Because I Mm -hmm. do think one of the reasons me and my sister used to joke about this all the time, because her and I were both on the twilight train. One of the reasons that me and my sister would like, 
laugh about this was because when, because again, I was all in on like the interviews and blah, blah, blah. Catherine Hardwick, she was all in on this movie. She was like, <laughs> oh, let's blah, 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 blah. And so she, she genuinely was all in on this. And it was like, girl, you need to chill out because this movie actually <laughs> you know is really not like, and, and I, and I think that the fact that she was trying really, really hard and there's still all of these other errors. I get it. If you want to make mm-hmm. something campier or if you're appealing to a teen audience, which this movie obviously did, because I watched all of these things mm-hmm. and I didn't care if the food props were fake. I didn't care. I didn't care. And it, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying for me now being where I'm at, I can't not look at those things. I Mm -hmm. still appreciate the movie for what it is. I see what it's doing. I see how it's appealing to its audience, which ultimately that's the point of this movie to appeal to its audience. And it does work and it did work for me, Mm -hmm. but given where I'm at right now, I'm, I still enjoy it, but I'm like, man, I just some some of these decisions are not just just not I get it the budget wasn't necessarily there and yeah I was gonna ask about the budget because it it makes sense that there would be a lot more corners that need to be cut in terms of you know things that are not necessarily someone who's not highly attuned to the props and set dressing of a movie they might cut corners in those areas Um, because I didn't really notice you know, I, I noticed the the ketchup bottle thing when um, Bella and Charlie are <laughs> eating dinner in the diner, just because so many gifs have been made of that. It's a really hilarious moment. But I can't tell you, I can't say that I noticed a whole lot of else of the uh, the things that you're noticing. Well, God bless you and people who don't work in process <laughs> dressing, because when you work in that stuff, you yeah. you notice it. Because yeah, it makes I sense. mean, that's literally my job like my Mm -hmm. job is to read scripts and think intentionally about how do we get the right prop how do we make it look realistic how do we make it fit this character how do we make it feel natural that is literally my job (laughs) and and that's like literally what I'm doing every single day right now and so when I watch something that's just naturally where my brain goes because that's what I'm thinking about 12 hours plus every day (laughs) right now (laughs) um but anyway so let's Let's move on from that a bit. Um, I, so I don't necessarily know. So I've got, I've got notes that I wrote throughout the whole movie, um, but we don't necessarily have to go through this chronologically. Um, We can, if you want, but I guess I'll just ask you, is there anything, is there anything in particular that you want to make sure that we touch on? If not, I think I'll just go through my notes chronologically here. Um, yeah, I'm fine going through chronologically. I would love to talk about um, some of the side characters in this movie, because that's something that really stood out to me. And I think one thing that really contributed to the the much warmer reception that I had to this movie from uh, previous viewings. Um, but maybe we can, if we can structure we, it we however you like now. to, and we can just kind of touch on those sorts of things. As we can do that up. now. Okay, yeah. I mean, one thing that I sort of noticed this time around is I, I feel like, well, y- you you had mentioned the the moment where <laughs> Bella and uh, Jacob are having a talk, and in the background, Charlie and um, what's Jacob's dad's name again? Billy. Billy, thank you. Yes, Billy are having a little play fight in the background. I found that scene to be so charming. Um, I, I think I always kind of have, but and it, I'm biased because Charlie's my favorite character. Um, I mean, he's just he's just the best the best character in the whole franchise. But 
I there are a lot of little moments in this movie, um, especially watching it with subtitles on. And sometimes they will catch uh, things that background characters are saying when that's not the focus of the scene. So there will be things that Bella's friends are saying to each other when the focus of the scene is supposed to be on, you know, Bella staring across the cafeteria at Edward or whatever. I just feel like there's a lot of life to this movie in a way that I had kind of never really noticed before. There's all of these characters at the edges who kind of have their own thing going on. You know, the Bella's friend group. This time, this watch, I got a sense of these established dynamics and how she's coming in and causing all of this disruption because all the boys are flocking to her and the girls are kind of annoyed. Um, you know, there's this long-standing friendship between Charlie and Billy. He's kind of the only person that Charlie is able to open up to um, around. Yeah, I just, I really enjoyed a lot of the the side character performances. I mean, they they do get kind of annoying at times. Like Bella's, some some of Bella's friends, like mm-hmm. they need to calm down. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of annoying. Like but Eric, in a, Eric, yeah. ugh. Um, yeah. Um, but in a way that I sort of, yeah, that I just found kind of charming. I like that the the fact that this movie has an eye on the fact that there are more characters in this universe than Edward and Bella, which is always a big complaint that I had about when I read the books is just, I mean, Edward and Bella barely have characters, um, in the books, but you know, it's, it's far more than anyone else in this universe gets. They all only exist in relation to Edward and Bella. So I like the fact that there's, you know, there's stuff going on in the margins. There are conversations that people are having, you know, just off camera. Um, There is, there's a little bit of personality that certain actors, um, particularly Billy Burke, who plays Charlie, get to put into their characters. You know, there's kind of a small mini arc in the movie of the relationship between Bella and Charlie, which I really wish there was maybe 10% more because I I love that relationship and I wish we could have seen a little bit more of it. But yeah, um, yeah, that's one thing that I I really appreciate about this movie this time around. That's actually another another point that I disagree with you on in (laughs) in terms of the books, not the movie. Okay. Because, well, I guess it's the books compared to the movie, but I feel like granted. And, and just, I, unlike Tatum, uh, only read the books (laughs) once and that was back in high school into college. So that's, yeah, it's been over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, because unfortunately the, the, the books are, so ingrained in my brain (laughs) even though it's been a really long time since Uh I've read them I still remember everything because I read them so many times Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of detail for the side characters in all of the books like we get really in-depth backstories to others of the werewolves to others of the of the vampires to Bella's friends at school we get a lot more of them in the books which is actually, which is kind of, I feel like, true with any book-to-screen adaptation. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things that I do find lacking in this film. Because oh, I know that there's a lot more to these characters that exists in the books. At least in my opinion. But in the movies, it's kind of cut short to just focus on Bella and Edward. So, okay, interesting. Um, I think, so yeah, that that's just a reading that I have. But I, I do agree with you that the supporting characters there's a lot going on there I just feel like for me we get that information and more about their lives in the books than in Mm -hmm. the movie um yeah because I feel like in the movies they just show up to push 
Edward and Bella forward and then they disappear. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I will agree with you that I think Charlie is the best character. Um, I oh, think hundred percent. I also think that Billy Burke gives the best performance in this movie. Um, yeah. I don't really know anyone who debates that. Even my dad who watched this movie with me when I was like 14 years old and all in on it. My dad was like, Charlie was good. It's <laughs> um, a dad thing to say. <laughs> but but yeah, and actually you brought this up so I kind of want to go a little bit a little yeah. bit down down this rabbit trail or down this hole depending on how you look at it. But <laughs> I down into the depths. <laughs> the the more I think about this this story and like mm-hmm. watching this movie as an adult and reflecting back on the books, Bella is such a blah character. Yeah. We mm-hmm. know nothing about her other than she likes reading and she hates everything. That, like that's mm-hmm. literally all we know about her. We we do get a little hint of personality in that section when Edward asks her, "Why did you move here?" and she says, "Because my mom got married and they traveled a lot and I didn't want to hold her back and so I wanted her to have the opportunity, so I came here to stay with my dad." That's mm-hmm. like a little hint at something of a personality. <laughs> but I feel like she is so blah mm-hmm. like do you have any read on who she is as a person <laughs> because no matter how hard I think about it I'm like she literally just exists as a vessel for Edward to throw his obsession on aside mm-hmm. from that she's nothing yeah yeah no it's true I mean you would think you know in a lot of teen stories they maybe try and give the um blank female heroine that you're supposed to project something on they might give her like a hobby or something you know oh she's really into art or you know she is has part of the math league or something like that i mean they sort of vaguely established that bella likes to read but and she's clumsy she's clumsy (laughs) yeah that's her that's her that's her plot point i did really like the scene between her and her dad when her dad is like i feel like i'll leave you alone alone too much and bella's like I don't mind being alone. You know, I'm kind of similar to you like that. I thought that was a really mm-hmm. nice moment between them. And that that gives you some sense of Bella's interiority a little bit. You know, she is an introvert. She is a loner. Um, she doesn't mind kind of being on her own and in her own thoughts. But yeah, that's really about the limit of what you're going to get with her. <laughs> I mean, that makes that scene with them at the restaurant so funny where Edward's like, I can read everyone's thoughts except you. You're so fascinating to me. And you're like, well, not. Yeah. Don't know if there's a whole, actually a whole lot there. Well, it's like that's literally the only reason he's attracted to her initially mm-hmm. because he can't hear her thoughts, and it's like, well, if he could hear her thoughts, he'd be like, "You're boring as hell. I'm not gonna talk, like I'm not gonna talk to you." Um, but yeah, I, I think that that is a really interesting thing that she's such a boring character, and mm-hmm. literally the reason why he's attracted to her is because he doesn't know how boring she is. <laughs> I will say, and I don't think this is necessarily an original thought to me. I feel like I've heard someone else express this with relation to Twilight. But on this rewatch, Kristen Stewart's performance worked a little bit better for me than it has in the past, in large part because some of her physicality and the physical sort of tics that she does, that she puts on, are just so, I don't want to say strange, but they're just, you know... They're a bit unusual, and it, that gives Bella some sense of individuality, you know? Like, she just, she doesn't really talk or act like your average person, and certainly not your average person in a teen YA novel, 
You know, she's not like perfectly graceful and still. She's got weird hand motions and her, you know, her mouth will move a weird way or she'll pause at weird points in her sentences. And I don't know, it, it it's a kind of natural to the way teenagers talk in, in certain ways. Um, unnatural in other ways, but at least it gives her something that's, you know, a bit unique. Um, it's also very awkward. <laughs> like, I can see why... <laughs> You know, we all kind of made fun of Kristen Stewart for years, which I I really love her as an actress now, so I'm kind of ashamed of that. Um, I, I I do think she's giving an intentional performance here. I don't think it entirely works, but it's also, like you say, Bella's just such a blank slate of a she's character. So you got to do something that's a little bit weird in order to liven her up, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I find it to be very odd because... I remember when I was younger, I didn't really care about their acting performances at all. I was like, oh, I just love this story. But then as I got older, I was like, gosh, like the acting performances are so bad. And then I got to a point where I recognized, I was like, no, these actors are actually really talented. So what's going on in this movie in particular? And I think watching it now, knowing kind of where these, you know, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson in particular, because the rest of these actors are not, they're not, they haven't really gone on to be as relevant as Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson have. So looking at how, where they're at now, I'm like, okay, I genuinely do think actually that Robert Pattinson's performance in this movie is really good. I genuinely think that. And people can disagree or laugh. That's fine. I think that Robert Pattinson is an incredibly, incredibly talented actor. He's actually one of my dream actors. I would love to write a script for him and have him star in one of my films. Won't ever happen, but I would love that. Um, I think that he gives a stellar performance in this movie. Um, I think he's got a lot of really hard stuff to work with Mm -hmm. because he has to portray, there's all these things that are written in the book that are impossible to, to act out of, you know, him looking at people with such a venomous sort of beastly vampirish type of look that he scares five grown men to run away Mm -hmm. or, you know, or him considering how just naturally pretty he is, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard balance to be pulling off to be kind of, hot in a a way that teen girls will find attractive and accessible but also to project that sort of you know animalish dangerous intensity you know yeah and so i i think i think that he genuinely gives a really good performance in this film and i feel like each time i watch this movie which has been twice in the last 10 years (laughs) probably won't watch it for a long while still again but um i i just i'm very impressed by his performance Kristen Stewart confuses me in this. Mm. I don't, because I know what she's capable of. I really don't want to say that her performance in this is bad. I want to believe that there's some sort of thought process behind the decision she's making here. But if I eliminate any other context that I have for other performances that she's given, if I eliminate all of that, I think that she's terrible in this movie. (laughs) I think she's really bad. There's a lot of things that she says that don't, feel natural and I know a lot of the lines a lot of her dialogue is weird but even some of the things that are normal she says in odd ways like mm-hmm. I'm not she gonna some quote very strange like flat line readings that I was watching it and I was like I feel like I could read this line better but maybe this is an intentional cho- choice on her part to 
I don't know. I mean, teens can, you know, speaking as a former teen, can express themselves <laughs> in very <laughs> inarticulate and flat ways. Um, so maybe that's some sort of choice on her part. But then may- then again, maybe it's not. Maybe she just... Yeah, that, that's that's why it confuses me. Because mm-hmm. I know she's very talented, so it very well could be a decision. But also, if it's not a decision, what is going on here? What because, is going on? Because there's certain lines that are normal. They're things that normal people would say. And she delivers them in such an awkward, uncomfortable sort of way. And it could be genuinely because she was an awkward teenager at the time. She was kind of taken from this place of being in indie films as a kid. And then all of a sudden, she's in this huge as you know a teenager and we see in interviews and stuff how awkward she was at that time and just uncomfortable she was and so I wonder if it was just a phase in her life and she was figuring out who she was as an actor um I I I don't know but it does it does Mm -hmm. confuse me because I love Kristen Stewart I think she's very talented and I would like to think that her choices were intentional but that being said I think her performance in this movie is really bad um yeah, I mean, she's just, she's an extremely talented actress, but she has, I think, a very particular lane, and the big budget blockbusters were very much not her lane, and I think being a sort of, that sort of, you know, YA teen heroine blank slate for people to project things onto is very much not her lane. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like especially given the type of work and the choices she makes now, I feel like she does really stand out characters and she has a really strong personality. Like she has mm-hmm. such a presence when she's on screen. And I feel like this is something where it's just kind of soak into the background and just be there to be there and move the story along type of thing, as opposed to like, this is who I am and I want to show you. It's just kind of like, no, just, just be there. And Kristen's like, how do I just be here? I don't know how to just be what am I doing? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we talked about their performances. What do you What do you think about Robert Pattinson's performance in this? Because I think it's excellent. I'm curious what you think about it. I think it's good. I didn't come away thinking like this is a absolutely excellent performance. I and, and I mean that's not really disrespect to him because I like you think he's an incredible actor it's just such a hard role to play and he also he has more to work with than Kristen Stewart does um you know because he is there are you know the first part of the movie Edward is this enigma that Bella is trying to figure out you know she doesn't yet know the secret of why he is the way he is that he's a vampire that he can read people's minds and so there are some nice little moments where he gets things to play there's this great moment where he um I think it's actually maybe when he's first introduced and, you know, that slow motion walk through the cafeteria where Bella's staring <laughs> at him and um, he walks past the, the table. Does where, his little um, smirk. Yeah, yeah. Where Jessica's like, you know, saying things about him and he, he looks away and he kind of smirks to himself. And Love so you it. can tell, you know, he's clearly reading her mind um, or possibly just hearing her out loud because he's they're right there. But, you know, probably both. <laughs> <laughs> probably both. <laughs> but you can tell he's sort of like, you know, he knows that people talk about him and he kind of enjoys it um, from a distance. You know, he, he enjoys being that sort of object of speculation. So there's some nice little moments. He's got like a that. sense of humor. He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish there were more moments like that, because for large chunks of the movie, he's kind of just in that kind of, you know, pained you know <laughs> like I 
I want to stay away from you, but I don't have the willpower. You know, like he's in that mode for a lot of the movie and it's it's a hard place to be in, you know, and trying to sell, I think for both of them, trying to sell that sort of instant, we would die for each other. It's a hard place for them to be in and their chemistry is okay, but yeah, it, it's it's a hard thing to sell. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think he does very well with what he's given, but you know, and he's given a little bit more than than Kristen Stewart is, but it's not a huge amount that he's given. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's so interesting. Yeah, I just, I love, I love Robert Pattinson. I think mm-hmm. he's a great, great I think actor. He's an extraordinary he's one actor. Of, yeah, I. It would be such a dream to work with him. Ah, I want to work with Robert Pattinson. Maybe he'll hear this podcast episode. Yeah, Robert and say. Pattinson, call call my agent, which is me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Email us at yourpickpod at gmail. No. Yep. Say, hey, uh, who's this chick Tatum? And uh, how can I star in her small yeah. little film that no one will what ever you got? see? <laughs> but, you know, Rob, if you're in it, people will see it. So... That's true. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that would be such a dream. I would love to work with him. I I can't even think about that. that <laughs> Taylor's just that lost. Would, in- <laughs> that would literally be such a dream. I would love to have him in one of my movies. Um. Yeah, okay. So, Geneva, I would love to just kind of go through and talk about, from what we can remember, mm-hmm. what specific moments we... Because you, you had mentioned that there were specific moments that you laughed out loud at. Yes. <laughs> I know there were some for me. I would love to just uh-huh. kind of say those. Um, so if you can remember any off the top of your head, what I were think- some of the moments that you <laughs> laughed at? <laughs> The first one that I can remember is the first time we see the fast running, which mm. never fails to crack me up in these mm-hmm. movies. The effects for the fast running look so bad. They're so and I bad. Am, <laughs> I am so curious who whose was the decision to make it look that way? Because there are other, way, <laughs> other ways that you can represent someone moving really fast. You could also just like have Edward pick up Bella and then like cut to him putting her down somewhere else like you know there are other ways to work around it I'm just at what did they like go through the entire production post-production process and be like yeah this is gonna look great and look at it afterwards and be like well this looks terrible but we have no time or money to fix this because yeah and they they keep it through the rest of the movies too it possibly even gets worse so yeah these movies to be very inconsistent like Mm-hmm. I do think there are a few, very few moments in this film where it actually looks good. Like they look like they're running really fast and it looks mm-hmm. realistic. Very few moments like that. But th- I-, I do think potentially it was a budget issue. It's mm-hmm. like we could have done this, but But we they can't, do the same so... thing even when the budget expands. And, and oh, they that's have true. so many other, I mean, the that's budget true. expands and they have so many other bad effects that they start bringing in. Like all the effects in the later movies where they're tearing the vamp vampires apart and they just look like they're made out of marble and they just kind of like well Geneva they are supposed to look like they're made out of marble that's how it's described in the book I mean you can describe something in the book and then it's just not going to look good on film (laughs) (laughs) well okay that that brings me to a moment that I always laugh at every time Mm -hmm. in this movie (laughs) when when Edward like very aggressively grabs Bella's arm and is like, you need to see what I look like in the sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes up to the sunlight and he that like might opens be the his shirt. That might be fast running part. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And he opens hilarious. his shirt and she's like, you're beautiful. And it's like, 
in, this in is the, the skin bo- of a killer, Bella. In the book, it is described as like mm-hmm. the diamonds look like blah, blah, blah. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And in the movie, she's like, you're beautiful. And he really just looks sweaty. It's like <laughs> he just looks overly sweaty with a few sparkles. He does not yeah, look beautiful yeah. at all. I mean, it does. It's kind of the um, the um, the movie version of Phantom of the Opera problem where like there's like this huge plot defining issue with the way that a character looks where you're Mm -hmm. like i cannot be seen in public because people would just instantly go feral and start throwing things at me and it would incite a mob and then like you know you see edward sparkle and he like he looks a little bit weird but it's like (laughs) no one's gonna be going down and be like vampire they'd be like like, oh that that guy did that guy just come out of a rave like what's going on wear a hat i don't know (laughs) you know And to be clear with Phantom of the Opera, the issue is that we, when we see the Phantom's face at the end, if you have not seen the movie, um, I mean, it's kind of a big plot point that his face is supposed to be so, you know, grotesque, grotesque, yeah, grotesquely disfigured that the people of 1800s France would, you know, burn down the opera house. And instead, he just, he looks like he has like, sunburn, you know, (laughs) minor, minor scarring. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's another part I laugh at. First of all, the part when he's like dragging her across and is like, mm-hmm. "You need to see what I look like in the sunlight." <laughs> and then he stands there and opens his shirt, and she's like, "You're beautiful." It's like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then it proceeds to the whole thing where he just goes crazy and is like, "So you think you could outrun me? As, <laughs> As if, if you, you could, could bite, bite me, me off. off?" And then <laughs> proceeds to throw a tree across. The- <laughs> across the way oh my gosh yeah it's so so many good lines in this movie so many classics oh you know? gosh and so the lion fell in love with the lamb Ugh. what a stupid lion or st- what a stupid lamb what, what a, a sick, sick masochistic, masochistic lion. lion and meanwhile i'm like don't call me a freaking lamb no <laughs> like if any man called me a lamb i'd be like um excuse me what about a spider monkey also no <laughs> <laughs> just no just no um, something that is not entirely this movie related, but kind of is that mm-hmm. always makes me laugh is the opening of this movie. I think you've seen this, Geneva. I think you've seen this, but okay. the opening of this movie always reminds me of that Will Forte episode of Parks and Rec where Will Forte demands that Twilight be put in the time. Pass. <laughs> I forgot about that episode. And and uh. and he like chains himself to this bench in <laughs> Leslie's desk and and he's like Leslie if I just tell you about Twilight maybe you'll understand and she's like oh my gosh okay then he goes let me describe it to you the movie and then he goes so so the sun rises and the camera opens up and you see a deer drinking out of crystal clear water <laughs> it's, like, it's this abs- and then Leslie's like oh, oh okay gosh. you can stop but every single time I watch the uh-huh. opening to this movie it immediately makes me think of of Will Forte's role in uh <laughs> in Parks and Rec with the the exact way that uh-huh. he describes it. So yeah. We open the forest and we see a, a deer drinking out of crystal clear water. <laughs> I need to rewatch that episode. I forgot about that. It's one of the best episodes. So uh Geneva and I have a mutual friend. We both love Parks and Rec and we we talk about that episode specifically all the time. It's a mm-hmm. classic. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of one of the other uh, specific things that made me laugh. I mean, I, I definitely, like I said, um, the baseball game when the <laughs> three evil vampires start coming out of the mist 
just the dramatics of it you know it's just it's so campy it's so silly it's so much fun i love the baseball scene that's always been my favorite <laughs> scene in twilight wait really why tell yeah. me why it's just it's so it's so fun you know like these movies Is never <laughs> these movies never show the idea that being a vampire can be fun um which, like, you know, it's a huge plot point because Edward's like, I'm, you know, my soul is damned to eternity and, you know, rah. But, rah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just nice to see the family, like, get together and do something fun as a family. And it's just, yeah. you know, the idea that, oh, you're a vampire. You're so strong. You know, if you tried to play a sport, it would get confused man. with thunder. So <laughs> you got to wait for a thunderstorm. I don't know. It's just a fun Can idea. We just- and the music talk- in that scene is really great. You know, it's just a great little montage of the characters kind of goofing around. And Those baseballs would break, though. I oh, mean, absolutely. Like, yeah. How on. are they still intact? <laughs> There's no <laughs> like, way. Come on. Also, since you mentioned music, I will say the best aspect of all of these movies is their soundtracks. Oh, the soundtrack I, I have all of the so soundtracks good. for these movies still downloaded. I still listen to them. They're very, very good. And I will stand by that for yeah. the rest of my life. And um, Edward's lullaby that he writes for Bella, um, which I'm assuming was written for this movie by whoever the composer for this movie it is. It's a really beautiful piece of music. You know, the score so- for this movie is good. The people who composed the scores for these movies is actually quite surprising. Howard Shore composed the score for, um, I think it was for Eclipse. And then I think it was James Newton Howard who did. uh, So like these movies, they have like, you know, top class composers making the scores. The first one, because I don't remember seeing either of those names in the credits for this one, but I might have just missed it. I don't remember who did the first one. Let me see real quick here. It was um, composer. It is Carter, Carter Burwell. Oh, okay. I did see that name in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming he wrote, I'm assuming he's the one who wrote Edward's lullaby. I will then, say, Teenage Me was job. very upset by the lullaby that they chose. Oh, really? Because I had this, you know, I there's a lot of things yeah. I was disappointed about because I had all these things in my imagination. I was like, this is supposed to be this super elaborate, romantic, blah, blah, blah. And then I listened mm-hmm. to it, I'm like, this is three notes on a piano. Blah. <laughs> oh, but also, speaking of moments that make me laugh, mm-hmm. when... Edward is playing the piano and Bella's like lounging on this couch with this light like descending <laughs> upon her. I'm like, what? What is going on? I know. And they're <laughs> in this sort of like seemingly empty room kind That's of. That's really I mean, it's not dark. empty, but you know, the light is shining very dramatically and it's there, just ugh. the most. There's so much weird stuff going on. Also, yeah. well, uh, mm-hmm. I'm now I'm now realizing that like literally all of my notes are things that made me laugh which is quite funny because <laughs> I have two and a half pages of notes um but another thing <laughs> that makes me laugh every mm-hmm. time is when Bella enters the classroom and Edward's like covering his face <laughs> and then throughout the rest of the class uh-huh. he proceeds to just stare at her like mm-hmm. super angrily he just time. really obviously has his hand over his nose and she steps in front of the the uh, the fan in slow motion and her her hair ruffles and you can almost see the scent wafting over to <laughs> I just love when she sits down and he's like trying not to get too close to her and she like surreptitiously sniffs her hair <laughs> she's like yeah. did I forget to shower today what's what's going on but then he like literally proceeds to stare at her for the entirety of the class and Mm -hmm. i feel like if i was a teacher and i saw a student doing that i'd be like dude 
what's your problem? Stop staring at your <laughs> classmate like that. Like, do you need to leave? What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I just think that that scene is hilarious. And again, that is something that was written in the book and is so hard to play in real life. Mm-hmm. This concept of I'm sitting next to someone who is quote my own personal brand of heroin and I'm trying to resist them but I but you know and I just feel like that's something that when I read it on the page yeah like when I read it on the page it was so clear what it was and what it was supposed to look like but then when Mm -hmm. you think about translating that to an actual like real life camera with real people it's like oh that's pretty impossible to do yeah well it's a Um, hard thing to do especially Um, I mean, I'm assuming so much of that scene is supposed to be internal, you know, what's going on with Bella and the way that she's reading Edward and Edward's giving off these weird mixed signals. And um, it is hard to translate those sort of visual, those, those things on into visual cues. Um, I mean, that's something that every book to film adaptation, I remember the the Harry Potter series in particular often had difficulty with that. so yeah, it's 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 an awkward scene in, in certain ways. It's but it's so great. It um, is. Yeah, and you know, just kind of going into the screenplay a little bit too, and just more things that oh, just make me laugh. Like there's this scene where I think uh, this might be when Edward finally comes back to school, but Bella walks into the classroom and Mike is there, and he's like, "How you like him the rain, girl?" It's <laughs> like what? <laughs> But also, I get it. Teenage boys are freaking weird. They are, but it's yeah. just a, it's just a weird line. I um, enjoyed the. Um, by the way, in in bringing up the actors and you know how their careers went, Anna Kendrick obviously um, has had some more oh, success right. than I some of the others. To mention Anna not Kendrick. as much as um, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, but you know um, she's done. Really I mean, well. she's got an Oscar nomination under her belt. Yeah, she had you know led the Pitch Perfect franchise, and um, I really enjoy the the energy that she brings to this movie as this sort of nice like you know antagonistic clearly hates Bella's guts but is also trying to be nice <laughs> trying to be sort of the nice peppy you know uh high school valedictorian person um yeah I, I don't know I, I enjoy her energy yeah I think I think she's great I think um Anna Kendrick does a great job of of portraying who Jessica is in the books um because she is very much so like mm-hmm. She does not like Bella at all, but she's like, oh, Bella's the new popular girl because she's new and I want to be popular. So I guess Mm -hmm. I'll hang around her, even though I don't like her at all. And she's stealing this guy who I really like, even though she's not into Mike at all. But um, yeah. So another thing is I think that this this biology teacher is super into biology. Can I just say that? Like, He He needs to tone it down. He's very excited about his work. And dude, I'm happy for him. you, but also chill out. <laughs> I really enjoyed the uh, the Golden Onion Award um, right. that he announces. And then later you just see Bella carrying it. So clearly she and Edward won it. Um, it's oh. just a nice little uh, little detail to round out the world of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I will say there are a lot of things about these movies that I do feel like for me being a book reader, there are certain things that I think I'm able to appreciate more than others who haven't read the books. Because for example, maybe this does come across, but I think there are certain things that don't like the scene when Bella and Edward are looking in the microscope and stuff. There is this element of in the books, it's literally supposed to be, he looks so quickly at the microscope that it's supposed to be like 
humanly impossible how quickly he can tell what phase the cells are mm. in like he yeah just i don't think that really it. comes across in in the movie it in the movie it's more about the kind of uh antagonism is too strong a word but the way that they're feeling each other out which i think is pretty well done um they're both sort of trying to exert control into this situation um where at first, both of them want to be sure that they take a look so that they're getting the answers right. But then over time, as their conversation develops, they're gaining trust. And then Bella's willing to have him look and for her not to look because um, she she trusts that he's getting the right answer. Uh, I think the the first time around, he's kind of like he wants to check her work because he doesn't think that she can do it right. And he checks and he's like, oh, wait, that's actually right. You know, like it, it's it's a little moment that's full of kind of character uh, developing fe- uh, features, I guess. Yeah, I, I do like that scene. I just like how, for me, as a book reader, there are certain things that happen in addition to other things that I can pick up on and be like, oh yeah, that's an added element. I remember when I watched Breaking Dawn however many years ago, my mom kept asking me, she was like, Tatum, why do they keep showing these scenes of Bella and Edward playing chess? I don't I don't get it. They're just <laughs> like, why are they playing chess? Uh-huh. And I told her, I was like, oh, because in the books, it's like this whole thing that's like this special thing in between the two of them because she's the only person whose mind he can't read. And so it's the only person that could challenge him in playing chess. And so it's this romantic thing that kind of helped establish their relationship. My mom was like, well, if I hadn't, like, I don't pick up on that at all. They're just playing chess and it's weird. (laughs) But (laughs) I just love how there's these other things I am able to pick up on watching these movies because I've obsessively read the red books um Uh it just it just adds an extra an extra little something something Mm -hmm. um but we also in this scene with the microscope we get some we get one intense shot of bella's thirst face and it's like whoa all right she she's feeling the hots right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's 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 pretty intense her delivery of the line um i don't like rain any cold wet thing and she looks like she's about to throw up it is it's very strange <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what exactly are you like what kind of rain have you experienced <laughs> and then he kind of smirks because he's like haha little do you know i'm the coldest person you've ever met mm-hmm. ha! not particularly wet though um right um but yeah and then oh god <laughs> sorry i'm just reading these things that i wrote uh-huh. down maybe like when she's with Jacob on the beach and he's explaining like the legend and we've got these flashbacks that are in brown <laughs> and like all the, the, the main actors like wearing have these clothing. wolf, <laughs> these terrible wolf hats on as they're like mm-hmm. hopping through. The- <laughs> what? What is yeah. going on? <laughs> Who shot I have this? To, like, I have to imagine that the sequence is kind of Bella's imagination. I, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, it, it but doesn't also, make any sense. He could have told that story. We didn't have to have the flashbacks. We didn't have to see <laughs> yeah. that. He could have just told us told yeah. the story. <laughs> but no, we have to have no. these terrible <laughs> costumes and like this brown color palette. I just, uh-huh. oh gosh. I really, really enjoyed the um, the research sequence in in this movie when she's like basically Google's she googles cold one and then ends up on some website that's like vampire legends from around the world and she's like clicking through to the all these different countries and it has all these like different representations of vampires and native art and 
if you were to do that now it would be like ice cube (laughs) (laughs) okay oh and then we get that very like gothic uh shot of you know bella and edward uh like edward biting bella on the couch i wanted that poster on my wall and my mom said oh it's so good (laughs) my mom was like nope (laughs) oh my gosh it's great (laughs) um Okay, so just it's this is so funny. Geneva, look at how many notes I have. All of this oh is goodness. literally jokes. They're all just things that make <laughs> me laugh. So another one that I have is the scene when we see um James, Laurent, and Victoria kill their first victim, like when we actually see it happen with the guy on the boat whose oh, name uh, I don't Waylon? remember. Waylon. The song that he's singing is like, You never been a kitty, me yow. <laughs> <laughs> Just not pick up on that. Like what the what the fuck? Like what is this? I mean, from the brief scene that we see of him earlier in the movie, he seems like kind of a weirdo. So. Don't try and justify this, Geneva. It's weird. <laughs> like I don't. I I feel like it was almost something where the director was like, "Okay, action, makeups, anything." And it's like me, yeah. Oh my gosh, oh, it's yeah. it's bad. Um, okay, what else do I have? Oh, I wrote down when they're on the biology field trip, and Edward just goes, <laughs> "No, our bus is full," and then bangs on the bus <laughs> door That's for the great. bus driver to open it and let him in. It's like, dude. But also, when they're getting on the bus, it really looks like it's only the Collins in that bus. Like, there's one bus for <laughs> Collins and one bus for everyone else. And so when Edward's like, "No, our bus bus is, our full. Bus is full," and Alice gives this look of like. Uh, no, it's not, but okay. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Oh, also speaking of more props, mm-hmm. I hate the pepper spray, pro- the pepper spray oh. prop. The fact that it has a neon green label on it that says pepper spray. <laughs> pepper spray. I hate that. <laughs> it's like treating the viewer or the audience member like they're stupid. Mm-hmm. Of Like if we just put a realistic pepper spray can or bottle or whatever, and it doesn't say pepper spray on it, we don't think you'll understand what it is. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. You don't need a neon green sticker that says pepper spray on it <laughs> for people to know it's pepper spray. Yeah. Uh, it's probably also not a great idea for the packaging for pepper spray. You probably don't want to design it so that it's immediately obvious what it is. Yeah, I... Very good point. Very good point. Yes. Not not that I've ever owned or used any pepper spray. I probably should. Yep. Okay. Now I'm getting into the scene where it's like, say it out loud. You need to see what I look like in the <laughs> I sunlight. mean, just one of the most iconic scenes of the decade. As if you could really. outrun me. Say it uh, out then loud. Then I wrote down. Vampire. I'm a killer. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I've killed people before. I trust you. It's like, what? <laughs> messed up okay um and then after this we get to the point where she's like i'm not afraid of you i'm only afraid of losing you and it's like y'all barely know each other come on mm-hmm. like, yeah are i mean you this afraid is, of losing this him? is t- always tatum's perennial problem with some romance <laughs> plots tatum is like you need to know each other at least 18 months before you can have this <laughs> not conversation 18 months not 18 months but this is literally like we've had i know it's been like Three fleeting conversations. It's Mm -hmm. it's purely an infatuation thing of like I'm fascinated by who you are, and because you're finally giving me this attention that I've been begging for, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of losing you. It's like, okay, well, you don't even know who it is you would be losing because you don't know who he is. But like, yeah, yeah, he can't read your mind. He doesn't know who you are. Although he's been pretty clear and open about who he is, and you don't care. He's been clear that he's 108 years old. Mm -hmm. He's been clear that he will kill people. He's been clear killed people in the past. Yep. So maybe she does know about who, she's 
Bella's just crazy. She's nuts. Yeah. Bella's um, just, just, yeah. She's she's a problematic protagonist in a lot of ways. Um, oh, gosh, Geneva. <laughs> yes. This is the one that I just, it's, it, it's, it's so bad. So, <laughs> yes. At the end of this sequence, after they're declaring their love for each other, whatever, and they're in their meadow that's becomes their meadow for the rest of the series. Mm, yeah. The two of them all got one. Two of them are laying in the grass, staring at each other. And then we get this over the head shot and the camera is slowly pulling back, 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 wider, mm-hmm. wider, wider. This whole time, the way that Bella and Edward are laying mm-hmm. is completely unnatural. You, like you need to go back <laughs> and watch that. The way that they are laying is the most awkward positioning ever. It makes no <laughs> sense. And they're just like, I'm just imagining being on set that day and having mm-hmm. the director be like, keep looking at each other. Hold it. Hold it. Don't stop. Keep looking at each other. <laughs> it's this really long take of them just laying yeah. in the most awkward, uncomfortable positions, staring at each other for like a minute. And it's so cringe. It's so <laughs> That's cringe. Because I actually, I specifically remember that scene and remember thinking how nice I thought the framing of it was. I mean, I the fr- the the positioning, the actual blocking of the actors, it is very... Tableau, can you picture like. how they're laying? Can you mm-hmm. picture it? Yeah, because he's oh. on his back. He's kind of legs straight out. And then she's sort but of on the, her side. his arms are like this. It's just <laughs> like, it's so. Yeah. I mean, it is very tableau-like. Like, it's very clearly designed to be shot from above. Um, yeah, I just remember thinking that the, the framing looked really nice. Because they're kind of off to one side. And there's kind of a branch in the foreground. And yeah, anyway. But yeah, yeah I, I don't disagree. That must have been really uncomfortable. <laughs> so uncomfortable. And such a long take. Yeah, um, yeah. And then and then after this, after they've declared their love for each other and they, they're a thing now, mm-hmm. then we have my favorite scene. They pull up to the high school. Edward gets out of that yes, car. He's got he's the, got the sunglasses on. on. <laughs> he's got the arm around her See, shoulder. This is the, this is the mode of Edward the, like, that I really love. It's like Edward being like, a little bit I'm more going to hell. Like, yeah. I don't care. I love, I love seeing Edward being a little bit more chill light and chill. Yeah. And fun with his like, you know, he's, he's just, he's so broody most of the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, Robert Pattinson, he's a, he's a great brooder, but like, it's really nice to see him show some sort of personality sometimes well it's so funny you say he's a scene. brooder and then i think of his hot dog <laughs> gq <laughs> oh i want a hot dog where do i get my hot dog Blah. if anyone is not aware of what we're talking about there's a short <laughs> film that was uh re- released on the gq youtube channel um of edward uh, edward cullen of robert pattinson like wandering around new york trying to avoid the paparazzi and find himself a hot dog and slowly having a mental breakdown and it is so funny it's the best highly recommend looking out for it i believe it's kind of like it was like he met up with the gq like filming crew and they kind of all dreamed it up together so it's like partially written by robert pattinson i could be wrong about this but i think it's partly his brainchild and it's well that's just the kind of weird chaotic sense of humor that he (laughs) seems to have in all his interviews from what i know about it it was literally an idea that he had in his brain and he told his agent about it and his agent was like we should make that. And he was like, there's, he's like, no, we're not going to make it. There's no way anyone would watch this. It's ridiculous. And his agent <laughs> was like, better. no, we should make that. And then GQ was like, 
we'll do oh it. <laughs> That's amazing. So I think I it's one hundred percent Robert Pattinson's brainchild. Wow. Like one hundred percent. Good for him. You should start writing scripts. Oh my gosh, that would be. I'm I'm not even gonna get into the whole Robert Pattinson thing. How many interviews I watched Robert at this Pattinson? Time. If you want someone to direct your scripts, um, you can email us at yourpaintball@gmail.com. Yeah, I I'm not even gonna get into like all the interviews he did at this time of him talking about how he drove a car without windshield wipers, about how he lived in a dump, about how he didn't. Know. You know, I'm I'm just like how. How are you? How did you not die? Like, I just don't. How, are you, how do you keep yourself alive? Um. Anyway, okay. So, uh, oh my gosh, these are just yeah, literally are all things. Let me just list off the rest of the things that I find funny, and then I want to talk a little bit about just a little bit of the problematic messaging of this, and then we can be done. Because um, I promised Geneva we would watch our time because we don't want to have an over two hour episode. So I'm just going to kind of quickly go through the last few things that. I find funny. First one, them climbing the trees. I can't. Always. Always funny. The same as the fast running. The tree climbing effect is just, it's 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 so bad. It's terrible. Yeah. I Um, will say, I actually, I really liked the shot though, the sort of circling shot of um, the two of them up in the tree um, when it sort of, it, it moves out and you see the tree overlooking, is overlooking like the, the mountainscape and the lake and everything. And I was kind of like, it's a pretty good shot. Like, how did they... I'm assuming it was, like, green screened on or something like that. But, I don't know. It looks pretty convincing. It was, it was pretty nice. There's a lot of circling shots. There's a lot of circling shots. Movie. I noticed a that, A lot too. of them. Very curious about the reasoning for that. Yep. Okay. Then I wrote down, I've been watching you sleep the last couple months. Yep. Weird. Nice and normal. Not... I don't know what you're talking about. Not weird at <laughs> Super all. Super weird. <laughs> um, I the- feel very <clears throat> protective of you. Oh, gosh. Um, but also, 14-year-old me is like, ooh, <laughs> protective of me. Cool. Um, <laughs> you can protect me anytime. Also, 28-year-old me is like, I could see how that could turn into a Fifty Shades of Grey thing. Oh, yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Okay. Then in the baseball scene, I think the baseball caps are terrible. It looks like somebody just threw some fabric together and was like, here, it's a baseball hat. <laughs> oh, I always like them because they're clearly supposed to be like baseball hats from like 1908. <laughs> oh, well, maybe. I Yeah. I Yeah. Um, this is another thing that can't really translate to screen well, but makes sense in the books. The hissing, I like, Oh yes. It, it does not work so on screen, no, no, but no. I like it. I like the concept of it in the books, but it's just silly when you translate it to screen. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, um, did you ever see that old SNL, uh, classic SNL skit, um, that's parodying West side story where it's the, um, I think it's the, the Cobras versus the Panthers and they, oh, the Cobras are trying to like intimidate the panthers and so they do this kind of hissing sound and it sounds oh. really ridiculous no i haven't seen it <laughs> i i will send it to you afterwards it's really yeah funny. please do um okay and then another one this is just another delivery that kristen stewart gives that i just am like why when she goes home and she's kind of packing her stuff and she goes up to her room she goes i'm leaving now <laughs> why do you say it like that that's so many weird yeah so that's a normal line <laughs> why are you delivering it that way i have to leave now I'm like okay okay cool yeah, i will say i will say i mean again with you know charlie is the best performance in this movie and i really like the relationship between charlie and bella such as it is clearly the, the movie is not super interested in it that seems is really heartbreaking between the two of them where she has to she feels like she needs to deliberately hurt him and intentionally say the thing that his her mom had said to him and 
basically break his heart in order for him to let her go, which I mean, I feel like there are other ways that they could have found to get around this. I mean, I know time is of the essential. I feel like there's a better way they could have handled that. But assuming, you know, if we give them this was the only way that she could figure out how to do it, how to keep him safe, make sure that James wouldn't go after him in the time frame that she had, you know, it's a, it's a really heartbreaking little moment. And I wish they'd had an actual scene between the two of them afterward where she apologizes. Like she says she's going to apologize. And then later we see them and they, they seem to be fine, but I wish there had been a, some sort of on-screen resolution between the two of them. Yeah. But this movie doesn't care about them. It's no, all about Edward. No, and Bella. Yeah. I think in the books we do get that apologizing scene because there's a lot oh, okay. more with Charlie. There's a lot more meat on those bones in the relationship mm-hmm. between Charlie and Bella in the books. Um, Man, maybe I should go and reread the book. I mean, I'm making them sound a lot better than they are <laughs> <laughs> because I will say yeah. I stand by this. I do think I think the relationship between Edward and Bella is incredibly toxic which is the core of, of the story of all of these right, books. Right. But outside of their relationship, I do think that there's a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. But that being said, the books are terribly written. So it's like, mm-hmm. even though there's some good storylines here, because it's almost intolerable to read because of the sentence structure <laughs> and the vocabulary, it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like yeah. when I tried to go back and read Midnight Sun in 2020, which I will say... If anyone doesn't know what Midnight Sun is, it is Twilight written from Edward's perspective. And the first half of Midnight Sun came out, it was like leaked way back Mm -hmm. in the day. In like 2010, it was leaked because she'd been working on it for a while. And the first half of the book was leaked and she hadn't finished the second half. So because the first half was leaked, she released it on her blog. So what did I do? I read it like five times, the first half of Midnight Sun. (laughs) And... Back then, I I ate it up. I loved it, and then when sure. I tried to read it in 2020, I was I I was like, this is just I I couldn't. I mean, you know, if you want to go back and read Twilight, I'm here for it. Please tell me your experience, but I will like they're they're very poorly written. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a few other things on my my reading list first, but uh, you know, maybe yeah. if I'm in the need of a palate cleanser in between, maybe. Um, yeah, it's which, by the way, just, just speaking of midnights, and can we just take a minute to appreciate how funny it is that not only was, and I apologize if there are any Fifty Shades of Grey fans out there, Fifty Shades of Grey is like a terrible ripoff, fan fiction ripoff of Twilight, and then Midnight Sun is leaked, and then the author of Fifty Shades of Grey decided to then write her own like ripoff of midnight sun and that which got published um like yeah anyway just yeah. hilarious to me yeah it's it's a weird it's a it's a weird like get your own ideas for shameless cash grab <laughs> but why if you're already making millions of dollars why bother <laughs> um yeah okay so just a few final things here and then we can move on but so i <laughs> This scene always makes me laugh, too. It's when James is is running through the forest trying to track them, and then he realizes he's going the wrong way. He, like, bangs the tree and turns around. He's like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad because it's got the banging against the tree. It's got the weird yelling. Then it's got the terrible running effect. Mm -hmm. It's just like... (laughs) Wait. Okay. Random question that I had watching this movie. I don't know why I didn't have this question previously how does james get down to arizona does he, he have runs a passport? fast 
No, does he run the entire way? He runs fast. No, he okay. literally does. He literally because does. one okay. one thing we don't see in the movie that doesn't translate is like that whole sequence between her leaving uh, Charlie's house and then mm-hmm. meeting James in the ballet studio. That's like weeks of time. Oh, okay. So it's not like, oh, hey, six hours later, like time, time okay. has passed. That makes more sense because so, it really, the movie really does dilate time there. It really does seem like it's like the next day. No, no, it's 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 like weeks. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> just speaking- the thought of James like doop de doop running along. <laughs> I mean, but vampires run everywhere. They just do. Yeah, that's true. In his like, his like, you know, shirtless vest, baggy jeans, bare feet ensemble. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Vampires don't get cold because they're already cold. (laughs) Just the look of James kind of cracks me up, to be to be completely honest. It is such a 2005. Like the costume? Yeah. It's just. Yeah. It's I mean. I this this movie is such a 2008 um time capsule just in in terms of the fashion the technology you know there's everyone has not not everyone people have cell phones but they still have landlines and all the cell phones are flip phones and people will be out and they haven't charged their phone and so their phone will die and that'll be a plot point like it's it's a very particular time period and all the fashions are very nostalgic to me because these this is all what was popular when I was in high school and um so seeing all of the you know super long skinny ta- uh, tank tops and t-shirts and the the um empire waists and just all of it you know it's it's yeah it's a it's a time capsule it really is um, it really is yeah I yeah it it adds a whole other joyful part to the experience I feel mm-hmm. like watching it now yeah um okay a few final things uh you can feel free to disagree with me on this that's fine sure uh I think that the final action sequence is is poorly shot I feel like I feel like you can't I love a good action scene but I feel like in order for me to enjoy an action scene I have to actually see what's going on and I feel mm. like this could have been really cool to be like, oh my gosh, we can actually see the full-on abilities of what these vampires can do because they're really fighting each other. And I feel like the way that it's edited, it, it just cuts so quickly and it's zoomed in really tight on the action. So you don't, I feel like there is no, it, it's just kind of showing you what's happening in each moment as opposed to like creating this. Yeah. cycle of like rise of action and then here's the climax and the, it's just kind of like throwing you across the room <laughs> now I'm holding you up against a wall and I'm biting your head off the end yeah I'm like I, ah, I want more <laughs> yeah 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 I'm a bit mixed on it because I do think there are certain things about that scene that look really good visually um just in terms of the the lighting of it um the use of they they don't take too much advantage of the mirrors, but kind of the the idea of the setting and some of the the visual aspects of how it's lit, I think, is really good. And I like the part of it where at the end of the the fight, Bella is basically she's in agony. She's been bitten by James. The venom is is going through her blood. She's about to turn into a vampire. And so I think aspects of the how the remainder of that vampire uh, fight is completely shot kind of in the background and kind of out of focus because it's like 
she's sort of those things are within her line of sight but she's not able to focus on them she's only able to focus on the pain and where we as the audience are more, more focusing on the emotional turmoil that's going on with edward you know is he able to suck out the the venom or is he gonna you know is he gonna kill bella oh my goodness so i like the that aspect of it the way the actual climax in a sense the actual disposal of the villain happens in the background is nice the actual fight itself yeah it looks pretty bad and i think this goes along with how terrible so much of the many of the visual vampire effects of this movie <laughs> and then the series as a whole are like the vampire fights always look terrible like through all yeah. of these movies like yeah this movie which i think a lot of it is probably the lower budget is they have to just kind of put people up on wires and throw them around and yeah. you're cutting quickly and you're not really seeing a whole lot. They're just not very visually interesting. And when you see them, they look really silly. The way people fly through the air looks really mm-hmm. silly. You can tell that it's wires or You can CGI. totally tell. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't look, it's not very interesting to look at. So yeah, I agree with you that that fight scene, once it gets going, looks really bad. But I think that's just all the fight scenes in this entire franchise look bad. <laughs> I I cannot disagree with that. Um, okay, so my last two things are um, when they go to prom and Jacob just emerges from the forest. Like how long? Have, how long have you been waiting there? How what, did he know that are, Bella was going to be like doing? sitting on the stool outside? Yeah. Like, what was your alone? plan? Where did you come from? <laughs> I don't understand. It's just thoughtless things like that that mm-hmm. I'm like, who? It's just a poor, poor decision. It's just lazy. Yeah. It's like, oh well, we just need him to be there. So it's like that's just a lazy decision. Yeah. Um, and then last thing that I have written down, uh, "Let Me Sign" is a really good song. Robert Pattinson. Again, I was all in on everything back in the day. I was reaching blah, blah, blah. So I did a lot of research on Robert Pattinson and the music he makes. He's written lots of songs and performed a lot of different things. Let Me Sign is legitimately a good song. Ooh, wait, and which, it's, which song is this? Is Does this play during the movie or is this yeah, over the credits? I've, I've played it for you before because uh, I think I was with you and our and our mutual friend when you guys watched this a few years ago. And I was like, hey, guys, that song's Robert Pattinson. Let me play you play it for you. And you really liked it. You're like, that's Rob Pattinson? It's oh, the one when... I do vaguely remember this. I just didn't remember... Yeah, Which it's the one when he's like sucking the blood out of her arm and then we have the terrible montage that leads up to her laying in the in the hospital oh. bed. It's super mm-hmm. brief. They barely play it, but it's actually a really okay. good song. Uh you cannot understand anything that he's saying <laughs> because he when he sings is just kind of blah 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 blah. <laughs> but it's a good song. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah, so if anyone I do remember you sending that to me, so I'm gonna go look it up. I didn't realize I guess I didn't realize that that was actually played during the movie. I probably yeah. thought it was either just on the soundtrack or maybe played over the end credits or something like that. I actually remember texting you like a long list I of all this. these Robert Pattinson <laughs> songs because I think we watched it and you were like, I didn't know yeah. Robert Pattinson was a singer. And I said, oh, let me show you all of these. <laughs> I sent you a list of like 12 videos. Or yeah. Yeah. I just didn't um, realize that any of them played during the movie itself. Yeah, two of them play in the movie. Let Me Sign plays at the end, which is not on the film soundtrack. And then his other one, uh, it's, I can sing it, but I don't remember the name of it, plays when they're having their first dinner together at the restaurant. So okay. he's got two songs in this movie. Oh. One of them made the soundtrack, the other one didn't. Oh, um, but Does yeah. he still make music by any chance? No, not not that I've not that I've seen. Um, I'm not as obsessive about my Robert Pattinson research as I was back then. <laughs> but as far as I know, I don't think yeah, he's, he's done music too busy in a being while. the Batman and 
I think people have out. interviewed him asking him if he still makes music. He's like, no, I'd like to someday, but not right now. Um, okay, so we're almost at two hours. So I don't think we're going to jump into kind of the problematic messaging of this. I think it's pretty clear uh, it's problematic <laughs> for... Yeah. I mean, we can get into it briefly <laughs> if you have like a couple things that you want to like highlight. I mean, you, I just... you've already highlighted a few things as we've we've talked, but... Yeah, I just think that their relationship is so unhealthily codependent. And mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't think we fully get a grasp of that until new moon when yeah, Edward this is the leaves. Thing. If we ever do Bella an episode on new moon, literally like that's suicidal yes. and Edward is also literally suicidal. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is, this is not good. I mean, I've yeah. been through a breakup before I get it. Breakups are rough, but this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. And also this dynamic of like, the reason I'm attracted to you is because you want to kill me so badly. It's just this weird, it's this weird twisted thing of like, you love me more than you want to kill me. And so that's how deep our love goes. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you shouldn't have to prove love through that. <laughs> also, a lot of the I should hope that things- he doesn't want to kill anyone regardless of how, whether he's uh, yeah, know. yeah, like it's. Also, the, the fact that he doesn't messaging. kill their biology teacher is not a sign that he lo- <laughs> the depths of his love for their biology teacher. You don't know Sorry. that, Geneva. You don't <laughs> know that. Um, that's Should that's another fan fiction that probably exists somewhere. Probably. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just the, the abstinence messaging of all of these movies, mm-hmm. I think, is not healthy. I think the yeah. pedophilia in this yeah. is not okay. Yeah. Like, literally... He looks 17, but he is 108 years old. Mm. And Bella is 17 years old. Mm. That is a problem. Yeah. It is a problem. It's a problem. I don't think we need to go into why that's a problem, because I hope that's self-explanatory for anyone on this planet. Uh, But it's a problem. And I think it's kind of twisted how Stephanie Meyer... tries to make it okay because he looks young and he looks hot it's like actually this is really wrong for me in terms of age gaps that once someone is an adult you know their brain has stopped developing basically and they're able to make adult and rational choices i i'm fine whatever age gap you in your relationship you want to have but if you're dating someone who is young and has not had the opportunity for adult experiences and their brain is not fully developed like that is a problem and she is 17 that's squarely the the region that she is in she cannot should not be making these sort of you know life-altering permanent choices with someone who is his the differential of power is so much greater because he had he is so much older he's obviously he's strong and he's wealthy and he's you know and he's not using these things in any way to hurt her but it's it's creepy it's problematic it really it's predatory it yeah yeah it's It's, yeah it's not great it's one of those things you really do have to just close your eyes and ignore it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and let the you know allow yourself into the fantasy but in any sort of real be like he's 17 it's It's fine he's 17 that bad yeah (laughs) And it's interesting because I remember when I first read these books, I was I was 100% in on the debate of Team Edward, Team Jacob. I was 100% Team Edward. Now I am totally Team Jacob. Like, <laughs> you guys have a solid friendship. You guys go back. You're the same age. It's, a, you know, it's not an obsessive, mm-hmm. codependent love. It's like a genuine, we get along, I think I like you well, kind of love. I, I and, think Jacob's 
obsession with her is problematic, similar, problematic in its own special ways. I don't know. I'm very much. I feel teen- like his is a teenage infatuation as opposed yeah. to like a. But it also gets into that without of, you. It gets like, into that nice guy like I know what you really want and I'm what you really want. Like you don't know. Like I'm I'm the guy for you. You just need to see it. You know, it's. I, I don't like. I don't like all of, of it. Them. Is bad. All I of it's team, bad. I am team. Bella needs to go to college, <laughs> and she needs to date a couple people, and she needs to, you know, get a wider sense of the world. And then when she's twenty five and her brain has stopped developing, maybe Edward will still be there, and maybe they'll still be into each other. Geneva, you know what that means? That means mm-hmm. you're team Edward because that's what Edward wants for her. Edward literally <laughs> pushes for her. He's like, "I want you to go to college. I want you to stay away from me. I want you to have this life experience. I don't want you to become a vampire. I want you to live a mm-hmm. normal life." Well, so you're actually team that... Edward. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least that shows that Edward has her best interests at heart, even though neither of them follow through on it. Ugh, his yeah. instincts, I guess, are good. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Through. I'm going to cut this short because I don't want us to go past two hours. Um, so I'm just going to quickly go through a few things here. I loved looking up awards and reviews for this. I thought it was a lot of fun because this is the first movie we've talked about, I feel like, that isn't, you know, this very highly... Cr- you know, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just, are you saying the reviews for this weren't uh, it's stellar? <laughs> it's for a young adult audience and everyone yeah. knows that that's what it's for. And mm-hmm. even the people who review it know what that, know that that's mm-hmm. what it's for. So it was an interesting study, but so this movie has a 56 on Metacritic, <laughs> uh, it has a 49% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has a 72% audience score. So, and then for the awards, uh, surprise, surprise, it was I not nominated. I would be nominated. very curious. <laughs> Sorry. I, if we ever do other movies in this series, I'd be very curious to see like how the Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes score and audience score um, compare as the series goes on. Because I feel like the first one is always really interesting because it sets the tone for everything else, but then it's also calibrating the levels. And so you might have other ones where it's like, well, this is worse, but it's rated better, or this is better, but it's rated worse. Anyway, sorry. I continue. Can... I could predict the audience scores based off of me living in that time period and knowing <laughs> how it was received, but the critics, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. So obviously this movie was not nominated for any like <laughs> golden globes or Oscars or anything like Shocking. that. Uh, but it was nominated and won lots of teen choice wow. awards and lots of MTV movie awards. So I'll just go through them super quickly at the teen choice awards. It won best drama, best romance, best actor, best actress, best movie villain, best fresh face to Ashley Green, best fresh face to Taylor Lautner, best movie lip lock, best movie rumble, which means like a movie fight. <laughs> wow. Uh, I like wonder what the scene. other nominees were that year. And then best movie album. I don't think it I mattered really what enough. else was nominated this year. Twilight would have won regardless because mm-hmm. everyone loved it. Uh, I also. Yeah. Okay. MTV well, this movie is awards. 2008. Mm. So this would have been the year of the Dark Knight. So I, I don't know. There could have been some other contenders. I, I don't know how much the Dark Knight was in in not the, the Teen Choice teen Awards, choice awards <laughs> but uh, I don't know how many 14 year old girls were watching the Dark Knight. Um, okay, I certainly M- wasn't. Sadly, uh, MTV Movie Awards. So it won Best Movie, Best Female Performance, Best. I don't know why Kristen Stewart is female. Whatever. Best female performance, uh, best breakthrough male performance for Rob Pattinson, best kiss and best fights. That's another best fight. Interesting. Um, 
Okay, and then real quick for critics' thoughts, uh, Roger Ebert said, <laughs> Twilight will mesmerize its target audience, 16-year-old girls and their grandmothers. <laughs> um, and Dana Stevens from Slate said, as a life lesson for teenage girls, Twilight, excuse the pun, sucks. As a parable for the dark side of female desire, it's weirdly powerful. Yeah, that's and then, interesting. Stephen Rhea from the Philadelphia Philadelphia Inquirer said Twilight directed with savvy humor by Catherine Hardwick turns vampirism into a metaphor for teen lust. I would say that Stephanie Meyer through the book does that, but I guess Catherine Hardwick through the movie does that since she adapted it. But mm. yeah. So those are all of our critics reviews. I feel like Geneva and I have both kind of already shared about how the movie has like impacted us or stuck with us but is there anything else that you want to add to that Geneva before we close no not really I mean as I said before you know I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this watch um I obviously I mean we all know the the source material is it's pretty silly uh the romance not great many problematic elements to it but it is nostalgic it is kind of fun I did really enjoy the the direction and the aesthetics to it um the performances are strange but there's stuff to enjoy there so yeah i'm probably gonna watch this again at some point um yeah 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 not i think that that's a, that about something <laughs> yeah <laughs> not uh, life-changing but it's a it's a fun watch yeah i will say that this movie did change my life because uh, <laughs> at that time it was my whole world it meant more to me than anything else you are my uh, life now Yep. <laughs> it is my life now. 14-year-old Tatum sent um, to Twilight. Yep. But yeah, I think this movie for me, it just, it, it transports me back to a time, to a person that I don't even know how I am somehow <laughs> related to that person because anyone who knows me now, they are shocked when they hear for the first time. I was so floored the first time Tatum told me this. Yeah, because I am not at all this type of person nowadays, someone who gets all into I honestly think it was more so the fa- no it was the romance too it wasn't just the fantasy because yeah. I am a huge fantasy person I still am yeah um but I was super into romance at the time I just was in this story yeah. man like it got me so well, do you think the fact that you do struggle with romance and particularly that sort of fantasy not in the like um, comes Lord from of- Twilight the reason I struggle with yeah it is because yeah Twilight no so much. <laughs> yeah the fact that you react so strongly to say you know Romeo and Juliet type stories you know that sort of you know intense infatuation um love is a life or death thing you know the fact that you react so strongly to all of this could maybe have something to do with the fact that you it had such a powerful pull to to you (laughs) for you at this age and that at a certain point you grew grew out of that yeah I don't I mean I read Romeo and Juliet at the same time that I read these these books I don't know I don't know um, so yeah, this movie is kind of solidified for me in my heart just because of the nostalgic aspect of it. I love seeing baby Robert Pattinson and baby Aww. Kristen Stewart and mm-hmm. seeing how far they've come and how much they've developed. It makes me feel like a proud parent. Yeah. Um, and I love just being surprised by new time, by new things. Every time I watch this movie, I think Robert Pattinson's performance is great. I didn't always think that it surprises me now. I love seeing his performance in this film. Um, yeah, there's... There's a lot here. Uh, I I probably won't watch this movie again for some time, but I do think <laughs> that this is a film that I like 
maybe once every decade I'll get together with some friends, we'll have some drinks, and we'll journey back to a time when Twilight was the biggest thing on the planet Earth. Um, but yeah, so that's that's all I've got to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, so Geneva, why don't you go ahead and tell us what we'll be talking about next week? Yes. So next week we are journeying, journeying to uh, Weimar era Germany and the world of musicals. And we're going to be covering Cabaret from 1972. I'm um, very interested. I actually don't know if Tatum has seen this movie yet or not. So I'm very excited to hear what her history with this movie is and what her thoughts on it are next time yeah it's gonna be fun I'm, I'm looking forward to it so yeah okay well thanks for joining us everybody and we'll talk to you next week bye bye thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com hit us up Robert Pattinson our theme song <laughs> was composed by Joel Rushton and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.